Welcome to Agriculture in North Carolina. Hello, farmers and friends. I'm Dan Miller. This program is all about the largest industry in our state, agriculture. On today's show, we talk with turf farmer Alfred Wooten. There's some new zoysia grass in St. Augustine out of NC State. He had it before it was released. We'll find out about that and about his operation and his background coming up. Ag and NC is sponsored by Ag Carolina Farm Credit. First Choice Insurance Partners, Syngenta Global, and the North Carolina Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services. Got to be NC. Jeff Turner is my co-host, the COO of Murphy Family Ventures and member of the North Carolina Board of Ag. I see Jeff has entered the Ag and NC Duplin County studio, so how goes it, Mr. Turner? Hey, Dan, I'm well. I hope you are. I am well. Have you had a chance to look at the fields? According to the USDA... 90% of our corn crop in North Carolina has silked. It's about where we were this time last year, a little bit behind our five-year average, but uh, corn rated 69% excellent or good, 24% fair, 7% poor or uh, very poor condition. I would say eastern North Carolina is a little ahead of that curve, don't you think? Yeah, I think it is. In fact, I know it is. uh, By this point, there's, there's right much corn that's already been harvested, believe it or not. The reports I got last week from a couple of folks that said it was the best corn crop they'd have ever had. That's good. I don't think it's going to be that everywhere. I know here on my farm at home, it's uh, the, the the crop was short, but we got plenty of ears. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how it's going to harvest, how it's going to pick out. But in any event, we shall see. Cotton fields, by the way, stressed a little bit too with the heat. Some rain, maybe have got the cotton back growing again, but uh, a little rough there for I don't know week, ten days. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's been again this the heat with no with no moisture is not good, and and the soybeans have not fared very well either. So we'll we'll see where that goes. But again, rain has been spotty. It's like it always yeah. is. It's been spotty. Yeah, I came through a little town last week, and it had rained on one side of the road, but the other side of the street it hadn't been rained on. Uh, we speculated that the interest rates might slow a few things down. Combine sales are uh, the only thing that is selling well this year. Total farm tractor sales declined 9% this year over last year, according to the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. The largest area of decline was in the sub-100 horsepower units, a little bit above maybe in the 100 horsepower plus four-wheel drive units. But um, the bright spot, self-propelled combine sales, 40% ahead of last year. Somebody's thinking there's a good crop coming. Yep, sounds like they got to get it harvested, and they need need the power and the equipment to do it. So that's that's a good thing. I hope the the crop is big enough to to pay that high interest rate. John Deere investing seventy million dollars or close to it to build a battery and charger manufacturing facility for Kearsell Electric. That's an Austrian company that Deere acquired last year. The facility will be near uh, John Deere's excavator plant in Kernersville, east side of Winston Salem. According to the Triad Business Journal, Forsyth County coughed up uh, $1.3 million in incentives to get the 115,000-square-foot plant and 83 full-time jobs in their neck of the woods. Good stuff. like to hear. I'm North not Carolina. sure what they're going to do with all those batteries, but good stuff. Oh, come on now. That's the great thing about batteries. It's energy neutral. It could be uh, anaerobic digester-produced gas that produced that electricity. That would be nice. Yeah. That would be nice. A little something for your bank account. You need to read the story. The, the CEO of Ford Motor took a little trip on a pickup, one of his EV pickups. I think he's a little disappointed. Boy, Elon Musk is making bank. It's the chargers doing it for him because electric car might be great, but unless you can charge it fast and there's a charge point within a couple hundred miles, it's a brick. Yep. 
I read an interesting article. I sent it to you, written by Tyne Morgan, who does a great job for uh, for AgWeb. The uh, the gist of which is that the margins in pork and poultry are low right now. Input costs are are high. After finish, you don't get a whole lot back. Some of the notes: Tyson closing four poultry processing plants. Those are in Arkansas, Indiana, two in Missouri. And to add to that, Smithfield closing 35 pig farms in Missouri. Are we on the forefront of maybe some consolidation like we were back in the late 90s? I think there are a couple of things driving what's going on with with the pig industry. Productivity of the sow herd continues to increase. With that increase, obviously, in order to get the same number of finished hogs, you need fewer sows. They did close or are in the process of closing those sow farms in northern Missouri. On the East Coast, you have the situation with closing the harvest facility in, in Smithville, Virginia. And I think maybe a miscalculation there that, that there was some hope that they could absorb those animals, 10,000 a day could be absorbed in their other plants, the one in Clinton, North Carolina, and the one in Tar Hill, North Carolina. But the, the limiting factor in both those plants is not the physical plant facility, but the the amount of people that you can actually employ. Therein lies their problem and the limitation, I think, on on the the harvest of the, at those two facilities. And it's all about having enough manpower to get it done. So I think they've decided they pretty well maxed out what they can do in those two facilities, and they were not able to absorb the 10,000 head that had been anticipated. And so, therefore, they need fewer finishing spaces. And I think they're trying to, the East Coast business, they're trying to right-size it to their ability to, to harvest. There's only so many shackle spaces and so many hours in a day and days in a week. Um, there are a number of contract grower sale contracts that will be going away. In fact, we have one of those. We're, we're closing a farm. Uh, but it's all about sale productivity and, again, trying to match up sale productivity with the finishing spaces, with the shackle spaces at, at Tar Hill and Clinton. Again, it's all about controlling costs. You, you mentioned consolidation. I, I, again, a quick story. In 1999, when it was decided by uh, the family to sell the business, uh, Wendell's prime concern was obviously preservation of his own wealth, but preservation of the jobs for his employees, his employee family, and his contract grower family. And he knew that there would be another uh, another time of consolidation, and he thought that it was best to exit ownership of those animals when he did. And, and sure enough, he was right. Uh, we're going through the consolidation process a bit, driven by a number of factors, low hog prices, but high productivity and the inability to to increase uh, the harvest number. So farming and commodities are all a cycle. They always have been, and, and uh, it's no different today. As you said before, though, as the margins get tighter, the only way to be able to make a buck out of it is to physically increase in size. I mean, that, that's economics. That's the way business but, economics works. And the difficulty is, is, is we say many times on this program, is that puts the squeeze on the smaller volume farmer. It does, and... You know, it's unfortunate that that is the economic reality, and it's the same way with regulation. Anytime you increase regulation on on, a, on any sort of a farming operation, or for that matter, any business, whenever you increase regulation, the, the larger folks can figure out how to absorb those costs and continue on, 
and deal with it, the smaller guy gets squeezed out. And that happened in the 90s with the regulations. That A lot of what took place with some of that consolidation, the increased cost of regulation in the 90s came in a very bad time for a lot of people. And it squeezed people out. That's just the facts. It, it, we can uh, walk on eggshells all we want to around that issue. No. But the, the, smaller, the smaller folks go away. And the bigger guys are going to get bigger because they got they've got the ability to try to absorb the regulation. Is there anything the state of Missouri did to make it uncomfortable for farmers or Smithfield decide to get out of that state, or is it just physical area to population? The way that Smithfield has taken the, the approach they've taken with this is they have tried their best. They they knew that their contract grower farms were going to be hit, and they've tried to. They've tried to be as equally, make it equally as painful on themselves. So all of those farms in northern Missouri were company-owned operations. Mm. And uh, it's probably, I don't know, 60,000 sows. I, I don't know what the number of sows were that they were running there, but they you know, they took those out. Mm. Switching gears. One form of recreation is to get on the lawnmower and to mow grass. Makes you feel good, like a feeling of accomplishment. On today's program, we'll talk with turf farmer Alfred Wooten coming up in just a moment on agriculture in North Carolina. Nothing ruins a tasty vegetable like a hungry insect. That's why Besiege Insecticide with fast knockdown and residual control protects your crop from worms and other pests. Learn more about Besiege Insecticide. Talk with your Syngenta field rep. And always read and follow label instructions. This is Agriculture in North Carolina. I'm Dan Miller, along with my co-host Jeff Turner, and we're joined by Alfred Wooten. He's the family owner of Quality Turfgrass in Burgaw, North Carolina. Alfred, if you've heard this program before, you might know how we get things underway, and that is a little background, if you might share, on yourself and, and how you got in the business. Grew up on a small family farm, been pretty much a lifelong resident of Pender County. As I got ready to get make a living on my own, you know, that was back in the in the seventies or so when farming was going through a, a period where you know it didn't really look all that bright of the future. So started looking something else, and I actually started out working in the golf course. We got a job on a golf course doing you know maintenance type work. Proceeded me going on to NC State, the Ag Institute, and got a degree in turf management. Uh, that program was still fairly young, and uh, I've been working with turf ever since. What year was it that you were that you went to state? I actually started in fall of 1974. And in 1974, when people said they were interested in grass, it seemed to be a whole different deal. Uh, yeah. You know, when I started telling people um, uh, turf management was going to be my major, and said, you're going to do what? And, you know, <laughs> never heard of anything. So, and then my dad in as well, he said, you know, what are you going to do with that? <laughs> right, right, right. I kind of got my foot, you know, on the ground, on the grass, and uh, said, you know, I, I, I knew I wanted to do something, you know, as a career or to make a living where I would could be outside and you know, not confined to a cubicle somewhere i don't i don't think i would have survived in that environment and um and i thought this did and um and it's it served me very well um, you started off through the golf course portion of that and then graduated from nc, right. NC state and then uh, you you came uh, maybe i missed it but I, you came I, back I, to the I home did. farm 
Yeah, when I, when I got back, uh, I actually worked in the golf business for about 10 years. I um, was golf course superintendent, uh, worked uh, at a course down in South Carolina for about seven, eight years. Um, had 36 holes there right on Lake Marion, and I stayed there until uh, I got a chance to, to take a job back up this way uh, in 1984 and within a couple of years ran into a classmate of mine when I was up there and you know we got to talking one thing and another and uh and the the subject of sod came up and and he and I you know kind of talked it over and that's kind of how I started off growing sod in probably the late 70s early 80s it started you know growing growing in to this area as well as as we were having people moving in here and you know there's a lot of anybody had sod here so that's kind of how how we got here. So the growth of the housing industry and what's going on with all of these different developments around us uh, today, was, uh, people want everything yeah. when they move in; they want it complete. Exactly, and uh, and and as we started, uh, we would sell the landscape contractors and homeowners, and and then your builders that were building spec houses. They would start calling in. Where was the peak? Doing uh, any golf course work? Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Yeah, when was the peak of that? Uh, peak of that was probably, for me, probably the late 90s up until 2008. We hooked up with a builder out of Southport down here that's that's done a lot of work in eastern North Carolina. matter of fact, he, uh, he was actually the contractor that built the, the Lonnie Pool course there on NC State's campus pretty heavily involved in, in, in doing a lot of that work for them there. Seemed like after two thousand and eight that in this region has has really taken a step back. We get some renovation jobs right now and that's that's pretty much the extent. Some older courses that want to redo some stuff and as far as, you know, the whole course being built, gosh, I guess the last one we did was was up in New Bern out on Highway 70s. That was probably the last new course that uh, we did. Carolina Colors. Carolina Colors. Yeah. Yep. yep. And and it was it was under construction by the time all this stuff you know you know <laughs> blew up. <laughs> Our business has changed a lot in that we were doing so much golf work and primarily that's mostly Bermuda grass and. Um, we dropped back and and have taken a lot of that out and um, and have gone back with your more long friendly landscape contractor stuff. I guess like the wine business, like the apple business, you find out what you have in is not the flavor of the moment, and you have to <laughs> you have to pivot and you have to turn. What, tell us a little bit about what you do have, the sods that you're raising, kind of percentage of the sods that you're raising at this point. Uh, still are, are two big ones, I think. Uh, we got a couple of different types of Bermuda. Um, uh, we have uh, the Tiffway, which um, is, has been the industry standard since the probably early 60s. And then we have the Celebration Bermuda. It's a, a grass, that, very aggressive grass. We've used it on a lot of um, athletic fields primarily and home loans. It, it doesn't grow vertically quite as much as the, the 419 or the tipway, I call it. Uh, we've got three different types of zoysia grass. A couple of the old varieties, improved varieties, have been around for you know, 40, 50 years, the emerald and the uh, mire. Both still very good grasses, slow to grow and slow to establish, but they're really good grasses 
even though it's slow to produce, you know, we, we were getting a little bit more for it, or right good bit more for it, but you're going to get the looks and appeal of, a, say, a Bermuda grass with, without all the maintenance. There are several others. We have St. Augustine and the Raleigh variety, which is the most cold-tolerant variety of St. Augustine, and then, uh, then Common Centipede. It's still a very popular variety. And you got a, have you got a bunch of sola in the ground, which is NC State's latest project? I actually had a breeder's block here. Uh, I've been working with them. I offered up back about six or seven years ago. Offered Dr. Lewis a Miller Lewis a um, little plot, you know, for her to do some evaluations on it. And from that, she brought in uh, some St. Augustine trials and and did two or three different replications of some different trials. We got to see what was there and, you know, what they were doing, how they were looking, what kind of pest problems they had or, or anything like that, and uh, put them in a little bit larger block and grew those in for a, a year. And then she and uh, some of her staff came down, and we actually did a harvesting trial where we we would cut so many pieces of sod, and uh, Dr. Miller had devised a device to where we could measure sod strength with. They would measure how much strength it took to tear it apart, which is very important for a sod producer because uh, we've had some of these varieties that really look good, but they don't have enough root structure, deeper root growth to to sod growers don't want to grow them. You know, they're not going to make it make it out in the market. Let's see, last June, right at the end of June, Oakland Plantation, which is over in Bladen County, they got about half of it, and they planted about three acres, and I took the remainder of it and planted about two and a half, I guess. Talking with Alfred Wooten of Quality Turf Grass, take us through that process very quickly. Do you have to fumigate the soil? What do you do to prep it? And then uh, do you plant plugs? And, and then how long does the process take before you really can harvest a block? Uh, well, that's the thing about the solar. It, it is a very aggressive grass, and uh, we've done it both with sprigs and plugs. Last year, Rick, he got his in, in sod form and plugged it. We actually took the sprig and digger and went up and just, just tore all the pieces and planted sprigs. I, I'm I'm still kind of on the fence as which way is better. If if you get good weather, if you can get a good shower of rain pretty quick after planting sprigs, I'd say that's probably a quicker way to establish because you get more growing points if you can get them to take. How many acres of sod do you have? Yeah, actually, I'm down on my acreage a little bit right now in that I have kind of held two or three fields out waiting for both this solar and uh, the new zoysia grass that's coming out of NC State also that was released actually before the solar, the Lobo. We're probably in the upper 200. If we can get what we want to get planted, this this all probably be back up, you know, 350 or so. But that is still down from, I guess, in probably 2008, I probably had seven 700 acres so Sola's just coming around. Where is Lobo, which is another NC State? You said uh, that's a, was uh, not Zoysia. You said it was. Uh, it is, yes, it's, it's a Zoysia grass. It, it is. And how, where is yeah. that in the cycle? Is that ready to hit the commercial? It, it's, it, it actually was released just a tad before the Sola, about six months. It was actually uh, released in the fall of um, of 21, and Sola was released during the spring or summer of 22. 
not too long after it got out, we found out that there was a fly in the ointment in the fact that there was there was a little off-type in some of it. Didn't know exactly what it was or how it got, but anyway, uh, we had to take a step back, and uh, uh, Dr. Lewis was able to DNA test this stuff and, uh, and did confirm that there was an off-type. It was a zoysia, but could not determine, could not compare it to anything else in the database. <laughs> it wow. was something so totally different. It was a zoysia, but uh, as it grew on in, it did become noticeable, kind of like a little freckle in it, a little. So we've gone back, and uh, she actually did, they did a lot of DNA testing on this stuff, and uh, they found, they think they narrowed it down to a certain number of trays that they did in the greenhouse, and apparently that's where it got crossed up somehow or another. And uh, it's a, it's not quite as it's going to be a little bit behind the solar, but uh, but it's it's well on the way as well. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it, Alfred Wooten. Quality turf grass. Well, I appreciate it. You're certainly welcome. We'll review last week's commodity closing numbers in just a moment. Thanks in part to the North Carolina Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services, got to BNC, North Carolina's official business development and marketing program for agriculture. More than just agriculture, it's got to be NC. Bill Carone Cars in Wallace is the only Chevy GM dealer in eastern North Carolina to be an AgPAC dealer, which means any farmer who buys a vehicle at Bill Carone is eligible for more than $30,000, cha-ching, in savings on products you probably already use. Everything from tires to crop products. Check out the advantages of the AgPAC program at Bill Carone Cars in Wallace. I'm waiting for a nip in the air, but I know it's coming. That means the North Carolina State Fair is coming as well, and tickets are already on sale. Get advanced sale tickets at a cheaper price, $10 for adults, 5 for children, ages 6 to 12. Unlimited ride wristbands are available for $30 each and can be purchased online as well. Kent Yelverton, the state fair manager, says advanced sale tickets are the way to go. They get more expensive when the fair starts. By the way, this year, ride ticket credits will be placed on a chip card, which can be presented at each ride and automatically deduct for the ride. And just like Mickey dollars, they carry over year to year. Let's check last week's commodities numbers. Expiring August live cattle futures closed at 178.52.5 on Friday, almost active October end of the week at 178.82.5. That closing price marked a weekly decline of $2.50. Expiring August feeder futures ended at 245.57 and a half with October contracts closing the week at 250.70. Later close represented a weekly loss of $2.17. Packers and bears retained the upper hand in cash and futures trading of fed cattle last week. October lean hog futures closed at 82.12 and a half. That's up 80 cents on the week. The lean hog futures bulls produced a weekly save after prices hit a six-week low on Wednesday. Close to home, North Carolina's egg prices were higher on all sizes when compared to the prior week. The weighted price quoted Thursday, August 17th, for small lot sales of delivered carton grade A eggs was 162.08 for extra large, 140.50 for large, 123.51 for medium, and $85 for small eggs. Number two yellow shelled corn was 10 to 23 cents lower when compared to the prior week. Prices ranged mostly 506 to 538 at the feed mills, mostly 520 to 560 at the elevators through Thursday, August the 17th. Number one yellow soybeans were mixed 26 cents lower to 11 cents higher, ranged 1395 to 1420 at the processors, 
Mostly 1305 to 1333 at the elevators. Number two red winter wheat was 11 and 19 cents lower, range 475 to 48 at the elevators. Soybean meal FOB at processing plants range 464.60 to 496.90 per ton for 46.5 to 48 percent protein. New crop prices quoted for harvest delivery corn was 491 to 565, and soybeans range 1240 to 1325. That's this week's agriculture in North Carolina. Listen to the program on Talk 96.3 or 103.7 at 6.30 in the morning or 6 o'clock at night on Mondays. And you could subscribe for our longer podcast version on Apple or Spotify. Details on all that and links to our sponsors is on aginnc.com. Thanks to Ag Carolina Farm Credit, First Choice Insurance Partners, Syngenta Global, and the North Carolina Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services. Got to be NC. Agriculture in North Carolina, copyright 2023, Interbanks Media. For Jeff Turner, myself, Dan Miller, make it a great week.